I thought Ethel Rosenberg requested non-smoking. I'm Kevin Leeson. It's a deadly game of acoustic cat and mouse. I'm Torin Atkinson. Some codes are paint by members. I'm Joe Fulgham. I'm Alan Newell, and this is Caustic Soda. It's the Caustic Soda Podcast! Yay! It's time to set the mics up. It's time for Tales of Woe. It's time to take the red pill on the Caustic Soda Show. It's time to do our research, unless your name is Joe. It's time to load the wiki on the Caustic Soda Show. To introduce our guest star, that's what I'm here to do. So it makes me very hungry to introduce to you, Alan But now let's get things started. Why don't you get things started? It's time to get things started on the informational, aberrational, strangulational, nauseational, strapped in for the Caustic Soda Show! Espionage comes from Middle French espion, meaning a spy. Oh. A spy. Oh, okay. And uh, the Middle English had espioress, which was a female spy. Espioress. Oh. Scopophobia or scoptophobia is the fear of being seen or stared at. Uh Uh-huh. It's the closest I could find for fear of espionage. It sounds like fear of a spinal curvature. Scoliosisophobia. (laughs) Scoliosisophobia. Alan Newell is here again. Welcome, Alan. Good evening. Espionage is the use of spies by government to discover the military and political secrets of other nations. The use of spies by a corporation or the like to acquire the plans, technical knowledge, etc. of a competitor. If that would I, be an industrial spy. If I mm-hmm. had a country or company, I would ruin all possibility of espionage against me by having no secrets. Mm. Ah. Ah? Then everyone Here's would, our battle plans. Try and steal them now. They're free. Then everyone would make Coca-Cola just like yours. And then they could experiment with their own different versions, and we could find out which one was best, and everything would get better. Yeah, but you wouldn't make as much money. Open source. I'd do fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's your problem right there. <laughs> yeah. Money. Now, money is my problem. We could talk more about industrial espionage, but having looked through it, they're not really terribly interesting. Or caustic. Industrial, yeah, or caustic. Mm-hmm. It's all like, there were some people... They did some stuff. They got in trouble. Well, there's a lawsuit. If Hollywood has taught me anything, is that mm. industrial espionage actually is terribly interesting, as like 90% of the James Bond movies will attest to, because there's always some sort of like corporate plot behind it all. And these days, with uh, with the American military serving the uh, capitalist infrastructure of their country and keeping it safe, I, all their espionage is kind of corporate espionage. All right, take mm-hmm. it back. If you're talking about the corporate state. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I am. The military industrial complex and whatnot. Hey, that other country is making it hard for us to make millions of dollars out of them. Go and deal with that, American government. So, Mr. Alan Newell. Yes. What are your espionage bona fides? Uh, well, in... Uh... You can't say. <laughs> 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 I could tell you, but I'd have to kill you. 
I'm afraid I've signed a non-disclosure Firefighter agreement. my ass. Yeah, that's... <laughs> now, in graduate school, when I was working on my uh, master's thesis, I did a lot of work on uh, a program called the Venona program. Which Venona. Was an, Venona, V-E-N-O-N-A. Mm-hmm. It was an American communications program where they were intercepting Soviet cables between the years of 1945 and 1980. And, and by that, uh, you mean um, stealing their TV? And not paying for it. Right. Stealing no, stealing that guy Soviets, from the yeah. X-Men who, yeah. had the, who had the cybernetic eye and then a scar on his other eye, I believe. Yeah. Gotcha. Oh, right. It was all about getting extra Yakov Smirnoff, I think. Mm-hmm. So I was working on Venona, and that uh, led to a few other of uh, the big espionage networks of the Cold War. I, d- I did a lot of my focus specifically on Cold War history. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wound up doing an awful lot of work on the Rosenbergs. A little bit on the Cambridge uh, spies from the United Kingdom, quite a bit on Klaus Fuchs, uh, and a lot actually on Ethel Rosenberg's brother, David Greenglass, which we'll talk about a bit today. Mm. And they were the nuclear spies, the famous nuclear spies in the Mm. 1950s. You can always tell the nuclear spies because they're glowing in the dark. Yeah. Actually, there have been spies that have wound up being irradiated to uh, to eliminate them. Well, what do you want to talk about first? Why do people become spies? I mean, we can skip over why do we spy, because I think that's almost a... Uh, Take it for granted kind of thing. Because you know something I don't, and I want to know it. It's the cracking open your sister's diary compulsion. Okay, yes. Mm -hmm. That's why there is espionage. But why do people themselves, individuals, become spies? And there's an acronym that's frequently used, Mm. and it's MICE. Oh, okay. MICE. Wait, because... Hold on, we get to guess. Okay. (laughs) Now, it's an acronym. It it stands for something. Me and I secretly espy... I like the rhyming ones. A spy? But, yeah. And that's your reason for right. becoming a spy? <laughs> yes. Is it uh, uh, money, uh, intrigue, chicks, and uh, uh, elevators? I don't know. I'm guessing so at the sexist, last one. They like Joe. going up You got down. one of them. So sexist, okay. Joe. I think it's money, ingots, credit, <laughs> and everything else. <laughs> Elementium you, you, bars? You definitely got one of them. <laughs> <laughs> everything else. Okay. No, that was... Uh, money is one of the big ones. Right. Mm-hmm. Some of the famous spies that have been uh, caught or were motivated, rather, by money were uh, the Americans Robert Hansen, Alder James, and John Walker Jr., which we'll probably talk about. I is ideology. Ooh, oh, people, right. people who believe in the Dumb country things. or the ideas. All those people believing in things. Or against the countries or ideas. The famous ones in this would be Kim Philby, uh, British spying for the Soviet Union, Julius and Ethel Rosenberg, Americans spying for the Soviet Union, and Klaus Fuchs, who was a German immigrant who uh, was in the United Kingdom and uh, was spying for the Soviet Union. All those pesky commies. Uh, C is compromise, and these are people who have been compromised. Oh, meaning oh. this was big in the 50s and 60s, homosexuals in service. Uh, we know and something. You we don't. know about your sexual peccadillos. Mm-hmm. So, so essentially blackmail. You, yeah, okay. Essentially blackmail. Mm-hmm. This, is the, this is the selfish for everybody reason why you should just be okay with homosexuality and stuff is because then it's if, if it's a bad thing, if you think it's a bad thing, then it can be used against people in your country to spill your secrets. Yeah, yeah that, actually that one is losing significantly. Significant yeah, uh, power nowadays. Uh, other ones that are still there are people who have massive debts. We'll that, tell everybody uh, would you're be embarrassed. gay. They can see me on my Facebook page in a gimp mask. And the E on mice is ego. Mm. Um, wow. Two, two I big names. James Bond. Yeah. Hugh Hamilton, who was a Canadian um, academic uh, who was essentially flattered into spying. Uh, and Robert Hansen, again, although he was also in it for money, he also, the Soviets routinely told him just how smart he was. And he mm. himself just kept looking at the government agencies that were chasing him 
most of which were himself, as he was his own spy catcher. He was that high up. Uh-huh. Uh, what about sex? Shouldn't it be mices? Ah. That would probably come under money. You have sex first with money? You, first you get the money, then you get the power, then you get the women. Oh, okay. And then there's a, a kind of catch-all that's left over okay. um, would be disaffection or grudges. Meist. Meist. Disaffection. Yeah, meist. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and a famous one in that group is uh, Adolf Tolkachev, uh, who was a Soviet uh, man who um, was unhappy with how his wife's family had been treated under Stalinist time. Oh, and so out of, yeah, so out of spite. Out of spite. Yeah, he had a grudge okay. against the, nice. the government. Then you, if it was yeah. spite, you could call it Mises. So those are basically the reasons that people go into espionage. There are some smaller reasons, like I'm just in it for the excitement, the intrigue. Right. Uh-huh. But intrigue. I would certainly say money and ideology <laughs> are the, the two biggest the ones. The big two. All right. Do we want to go into international intelligence organizations? Most countries in the world, in fact, pretty much all I can think of, have an intelligence organization. Papua New Guinea. Uh, they're, they're called the Puppies. I was actually going to say Vanuatu probably doesn't have one, but uh. for all I know, they do. Wait, Vanuatu, isn't that like some Marvel space villain? <laughs> yes. They, they might have another country who takes care of that for them. Some, some nations have been known to do that in the past. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Contract out your spine. Do, do they go exactly. in and offer it like, uh, like the mob leaning on people? Hey, nice country you got there. You probably need somebody to handle your intelligence for you. In Canada, we have CSIS, the Canadian Security and Intelligence Service. Right. Which, uh-huh. uh, by the way, happy birthday, CSIS. This is their 30th birthday. Well, uh, and I know <laughs> this, that they're relatively young, because I read that book, Spy Catcher, that was happening like in the 50s and 60s, and it was the RCMP that were in charge of intelligence right up until 1984 the rcmp were in charge of uh intelligence and counterintelligence i think that that's probably why we didn't learn too many secrets because that red surge gave them away when they're trying to like skulk around surge yeah that's the big red uniform with like the (laughs) oh uh, you know big brown boots kind of a wool that's why i need that surge protector yeah yeah Yeah, they can't like listen up to the doors because they had the wide brim hat (laughs) right (laughs) couldn't you just use a really long glass yeah Yeah, it's longer than the brim champagne on on the saddle of their horse (laughs) champagne flute So in Canada, the CSIS is our lead agency on national security matters and for conducting national security investigations and security intelligence collection. Mm -hmm. How many black hats out of 10 do they get on the spy scale? Define black hats. Like, how good are they at spying? Do you know anything about them? (laughs) Well, I'm ignorant. I'll tell you what I do know. (laughs) I do know that they are paying neo-Nazis. Yeah. The neo-Nazis on the payroll. Tell me more about this. Oh, that was like that was like uh, in the '90s or something. It came out that they had a bunch of neo Nazis on the payroll. Okay, yeah, guys who like would get arrested for some pretty horrible crime, like assault or like kicking somebody like into unconsciousness or something. Okay, and then they would get sprung because they were spying on other neo Nazis for CSIS. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah and it came All to right. light. Okay, and not favorably. People didn't go. Oh, awesome! That the government is paying neo Nazis to be neo Nazis, and then springing them out of jail when they should be in jail. Sometimes it's better the enemy we know than the enemy we don't know. I, I just right. did a, a quick Google. It says here, Grant Bristow, a mole for the Canadian Security Intelligence Service, infiltrated the group and became one of its leaders. This is of the Heritage Front, mm-hmm. uh, which is the Canadian neo-Nazi white supremacist oh, organization. Okay. A mole. So he actually became the leader or one of the leaders of the group. That's how well he infiltrated. Do you think he liked it? <laughs> maybe. I bet you did. Yeah. <laughs> maybe. Do you think he turned? Is that what's going on? You could go in any bar you wanted. <laughs> Free haircuts. The ladies. Free haircuts and the jacket. And the jacket. Oh, and the Doc <laughs> Martens. Forget that. So the United States, I think everybody knows these three. Number one, the CIA, yeah. Central mm-hmm. Intelligence Agency. 
which is tasked with gathering information about foreign governments, uh-huh. corporations, and individuals. Okay. Absolutely. Analyzing uh, that information along with intelligence gathered by other U.S. intelligence agencies. Right. And upon the request of the President of the United States, they carry out or oversee covert activities and some tactical operations by their own employees or by members of the U.S. military or by other partners, for so example, foreign things. nationals. Yeah. A.K.A. Wetworks. Make things disappear. Wetworks. Sounds gross. Also the (laughs) NSA. The NSA, National Security... Agency. Agency. It's the branch of the U.S. Department of Defense responsible for ensuring the security of American communications and for breaking into the communications of other countries. Okay. NSA, sometimes uh, people also say it means no such agency. (laughs) Uh, They like to be sneaky, sneaky. Well, the NSA are the guys that built that uh, giant facility that's just storing information on everybody in America. It's supposed to not be on everybody in America, but, you know, yeah. Yeah. Actually, that's, yeah, there's a scene of it in The Simpsons, in The Simpsons movie, Mm -hmm. where there's just a million people at their desks, and uh, Marge is talking on the phone, and one guy jumps up and goes, Hey, everybody. I got one. And he's the only person in this massive hall of thousands of people <laughs> listening to every conversation. Because she said something that was actually important to mm-hmm. the... Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the final one, uh, you mentioned Hoover, the FBI, which is the agency belonging to the United States Department of Justice, serves as a, a federal criminal investigative organization and an internal intelligence agency. Yeah, it's isn't... the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Yeah, it it is. isn't just basically the, the, the line drawn that yeah. uh, the FBI is inside America's borders, CIA is outside America's borders? Absolutely, and every time the CIA gets caught with their fingers in something inside the United States, they get, they get slapped. Ooh. Who slaps them? Who well, slaps the CIA? Probably a congressional <laughs> hearing. Oh, okay. Oh, no. They're... Not a congressional hearing. <laughs> Great Britain has MI5, which is kind of their equivalent of the FBI. That's the Military Intelligence Section 5. Okay. Domestic Do we know what Section 6 is? The Secret Intelligence Service, SIS, Ooh. MI6. Mm-hmm. It's the British Intelligence Agency, which supplies the British government with foreign intelligence. It's the British version of the CIA. Okay. It is. Mm-hmm. Oh. It's also the uh, department of the government that James Bond is employed by in Ian Fleming's Here's a quick pop quiz. How many MIs are there? Nine. A thousand. It's like 18, isn't it? Very close. 19. 19. Mm-hmm. And there's uh, a couple here that are sort of related. Oh. But MI-19. Well, that we know about. Uh, MI-19 is enemy prisoner of war interrogation. Oh, water borders. Uh, I feel better. I think I'm actually right. Look at MI-18. Oh, uh, MI-18 MI is used only used only in fiction. fiction. <laughs> Uh-huh. There you go. I'll give it to you. And then it goes to MJ1, MJ2, MJ3. Um, oddly enough, MI6, which we've been watching James Bond movies since 1960, I think, and the books were out in the 50s. The British government only formally acknowledged the existence of MI6 in 1994. <laughs> Ian Fleming knew all about it. So, well, Ian Fleming was an employee, wasn't he? He was. Uh, he was trained in Canada, actually, at Camp X. Oh, snap. Professor X was there. Camp X, yeah, that's where where all the new mutants went for summer camp. Yeah, roasting marshmallows and uh, singing. for the gifted children. What is a campfire song sung at Camp X by Ian Fleming and the New Mutants? Ooh, that's the name of a band. That's a punk band right there. Ian Fleming and the New Mutants. (laughs) I expect to hear an album by them. Uh I'll sample them on iTunes. I can't even think of campfire songs to riff on. Because it's been so damn long. Kum, uh, since there's, there's only one. Kumbaya. It's Kumbaya. That's the yeah. only camp row, song. Row, row, row your boat. Row, 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 row your boat. Kumbaya. Nightcrawler rowed the boat ashore. Hallelujah. He just go through all of the mutants. Yeah. Cannonball rowed the boat ashore. Hallelujah. That girl that turned into a werewolf rowed the boat ashore. <laughs> Wolvesbane. Thank you. Russia. 
Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, KGB, KGB. No, KGB's gone. What? They uh, hung up the shingle and packed it in. What? There is now the SVR. They all became RF. mobsters. Putin became president. He was KGB. Uh, yes, it's now called the SVRRF. Surf. Stands for the Foreign Intelligence Service of the Russian Federation. Russia's external intelligence agency, mainly for civilian affairs. Uh, there's still the good old GRU, the GRU, running oh. military affairs. The GRU is the main intelligent director. I They've hear, been around for eons. I hear they wander a lot. GRU the Wanderer? Mm-hmm. Marvel, obscure Marvel, barbarian joke. <laughs> Sergio yes. Aragonis style. Israel. Oh, yes. Mossad? The Mossad. I knew mm. something! Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I watched a lot of movies. The National Intelligence Agency of Israel is one of the main entities in the Israeli intelligence community, along with Amman, which is military intelligence, and Shin Bet, which is internal security. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, what, Mossad's, do we know what Mossad stands for? Uh, Does Moss, it stand for anything? Moss AD. Moss AD. They, they don't let any moss grow on them. Merp. It's uh, Arabic al-Mossad, literally meaning the institute. Okay. Interestingly enough, amongst uh, their uh, numerous... Amongst their many weapons, ah, fear, surprise. Ruthless efficiency. Fanatic devotion to the state of Israel. Yeah. Um, they are responsible for bringing Jews to Israel from countries where official Aliyah agencies are forbidden. Aliyah is the organization that helps repatriate Jews who wish to leave foreign nations. Okay. okay. Uh, and they also protect Jewish communities uh, abroad and at home. Oh, right. yeah, they, uh... I thought most countries hated Jews and would love for them to leave. Are there, there countries that don't let them set that up? I think there's still a few countries that don't want anyone to leave. Oh, right. Uh-huh. I guess so, yeah. I watched Munich. The movie Munich, Munich, mm-hmm. Munich, and there was a lot of Mossad's oh, stuff going okay. on in that. They oh. seem to lose direction in oh, that, is that movie. Is that how they pronounce yes. it? Is that how they pronounce Mossads. it? Mossad. Mossad. Like as Mossad in, um, we're Mo Money, Mossad. Mo Money, Mossad. Mm-hmm. The last two, because uh, I thought I'd chuck them in. China uh-huh. has the Ministry of State Security. Okay. Ministry uh, of State's Moss, another Moss, which is responsible for counterintelligent for counterintelligence. Foreign Intelligence and Political Security. MSS. And North Korea, which also has the Ministry of State Security, uh-huh. the United Front Department, the Reconnaissance General Bureau, uh-huh. and the 225th Bureau, mm-hmm. which is responsible for training agents to infiltrate South Korea and establish underground political parties focused on fomenting unrest and revolution. Pop quiz. Yes. Oh, Is this yeah. a good time to put one in? I'm ready. I am ready All right. to fail. All right. All right. But tonight's pop quiz is espionage terms. Terms. Okay. Terminology. So I'm going to give you a word or a small phrase. Yeah. And, and we tell me provide the definition. What it means. Okay. I like it. I like okay it. So the first one is in espionage, what is a cobbler? Cobbler. Well, I know what a regular cobbler is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Something you put peach in. No. I, I think I know. I think it's, I know. It's a guy who sticks like uh, things in the soles of your shoe. Cement things? I'm going to guess a cobbler is a guy who whacks people. I'm going to say a cobbler. Is that going to be your answer for everything? A guy, oh, it's a guy who, who whacks kills people. people. Yeah. <laughs> be right eventually. <laughs> I'm going to say it's a guy who uh, walks to places on with his shoes. Uh-huh. Uh, and they're also telephone shoes like in Get Smart. Classic. Oh, no. It's a guy who dresses in a tuxedo like the penguin, Mr. Cobblepot. Mr. Cobblepot? Yeah. These are a bunch of non-answers. 
except for Joe's. I, I, like, I actually really <laughs> like Joe's answer because I love the, the line of reasoning to get to it. Uh-huh. He makes shoes, a, cement ones. A cobbler is a spy who creates false passports, oh. visas, diplomas, okay. and other documents. Oh, that so he, he cobbles, cobbles the, the documents cobbles it together, together to create a legend okay. or a cover oh, for a spy okay. before they, okay. they go into... Mm-hmm. Uh, harm's way tinker taylor cobbler spy that sounds des- delicious <laughs> yeah <laughs> so next up <laughs> follow up for cannibalism uh-huh. flaps and seals flaps and seals these, these are all real terms <laughs> okay all right this is somebody who flies into northern quebec beats a baby seal to death with a club <laughs> and uh sends out secret messages that are going to be read by air by satellite in seal blood, and then they get covered up in snow moments later. Flaps and seals are when you put your secret document up your vagina or your anus. Flaps is one, seals is the other. Uh, I'll let you decide which is which. Got, got I'm, I'm going to say, uh, man, I'm not even going to joke. It sounds to me like it's a tent analogy, and there's the tent flap, and you can open the flap, or you can seal the flap. And the flap is probably the leak, and the seal is probably the person who patches it. I like torn so much, but I'm going to expand <laughs> on it. I'm going to expand on it. It's when you pass a secret message from a vagina to an anus. Oh, right. Right? Uh, you, without the use <laughs> of hands. How would you do that? Without the use of hands. Scissoring, of course. Even, yeah, you scissor and you yeah. line it up. Yeah. Have you not been watching the internet? Yeah. Is that still around? <laughs> and that led so, to that. Man, I've got it in my pocket. I can watch vagina to anus passing of objects anytime I want. And that led to that uh, sex terminology spying, which yeah. is doing exactly that. Which is doing that. exactly that. Oh, yes. Yeah. You want to read some spying? Uh, well, everybody's yeah. wrong, okay. but, but Joe is less wrong. <laughs> hey! Because although Joe's talking about tents, he's got the right shape. Oh, okay. Sort of. Flaps and seals is the tradecraft involved when making surreptitious openings and closings of envelopes. Okay. Getting the letter out of the inside of the envelope past the flap and resealing it. Right. Uh, it's oh, also so to read the letter without seals. the person knowing that you exactly. read you that the mail has been opened. And, and there are closed. some there are some good videos uh, on YouTube of um, this this incredible technique where a very fine twin prong is inserted through the side of the flap, mm. and the the letter is secured and then rolled up very very slowly and then just drawn out as a very tight roll around this rod. And then they read oh, it, I and they can it. insert it by putting it I back can totally, in. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Exactly. It's oh. very. The British did figure out a way to figure out when that had been done. They would get the paper wet, and if it curled up again, they went, ah, it's been rolled out. Mm. Um, that was used uh, very frequently now in the Second World War. Now we know that they know, but how do they know if we know that they know? Okay. In espionage language, what is a ghoul? A ghoul is the guy who deals with the dead bodies by eating them. No, no. Dun, it's, dun, dun. It's a, uh, when a Russian spy refers to a female spy, a ghoul. A ghoul. Yeah. It's, it's more like Austrian. Uh, it's because you're saying it like Arnold. No, no all I can hear is Boris and ghoul. Natasha talking. Ghoul is a spy that's so underground and hidden that you think he's dead. You don't hear from him at all. It is an agent who's, who's got kind of a lame job, actually. It's an oh. agent who searches cool obituaries name. and graveyards. For names of the deceased that can be used by agents. Someone who's dead and they're oh, not going to wow. see. Okay, yeah. that's nice. That's so, a good... I, like a, I, would, I would do that job. It's important, but yeah, you're not really in harm's way. Yeah, yeah, and and you're a ghoul because you're kind of raising the dead. You're kind of stealing the names of the dead. Okay. Um, <laughs> oh, God. A one-time pad. A one-time pad? A one-time pad? That's one the term? Pad. A one-time pad. 
I'm thinking I'm going back to the Big Lebowski, <laughs> where he takes a pad of paper and takes a pencil and rubs it. Oh, and to get the, the image the, of the penis to get the dick drawing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. a one-time pad. Yeah, I don't know because you can only do it one time. I don't know why. I don't know why you can only do it one time. Because then, because when you, if you do it again, then the impression is not deep enough. You can't see that it's no, a drawing okay. of the penis again. When a female spy writes a note in invisible ink made out of menstrual blood. Mm. And the only way that you do it is by putting a pad in their pants. And once you do it, you don't ever want to do it again. Yes. That's it. One time. We yeah. tried it. Fuck that. Uh, one time pad is uh, a safe house you can use one time, and then you're done? Uh, no. I have all the best wrong answers. <laughs> it, it is uh, It is actually a pad of paper, uh-huh. but it has each page has a string of random numbers, and each page is different. Uh-huh. And those numbers are used to uh, attach encrypt. words to, to encrypt, and right. then the paper, paper is torn and thrown out, and it's theoretically unbreakable, even with the best supercomputer. I don't understand how you, how you would use that. Imagine rows and, or columns and columns of numbers, right? and you have, your, you have a one-time pad, and someone on the other end has a one-time pad with matching pages. Oh, you so, tell them okay. which page you're using. Oh, I... I see. And you line up your word based on that number. They set their settings, or sorry, you set your settings, you punch in the word when it goes to the other end. When they punch in that number, they'll get that word out. But that number will never be used again yeah. in that okay. sequence uh-huh. with that pad. So are there only two pads? They only make two pads? What well, if I got a what third they do, pad? What they do is pads are distributed and then the pages are torn off daily kind of thing. They're only used once. Hmm. Um, I don't think I'm describing this as well as it is. It's something that's much better if you see it because it's used in a lot of movies where you see it demonstrated. Okay. Um, uh-huh. If you actually saw the film uh, The Falcon and the Snowman. I did. There is a scene where Sean Penn's character goes into the Russian embassy and hands them a one-time pad page. Oh, okay. Because if you can get one page that's been used, you can start breaking open one-time pad communications mm, if right. a page gets used a second time or if you have the page right. falcon of the snowman is an example of ideology the reason he started uh, doing it was uh, because for timothy hutton's character for timothy hutton's was, character well i would actually say grudge okay because mm. of the australia events that occur in that movie right very short pop culture segment <laughs> yeah he is working for the cia and he starts getting all these messages that were, are going to buy his to his office by accident. Yeah. Right. And he learns that there's that the CIA is doing things they shouldn't be doing. They're trying to topple the Australian government. So he sends his coked out friend, uh-huh. <laughs> played surprisingly by Sean Penn. Yeah. Uh, what who, a stretch for it's him. It's Jeff Spicoli left over from uh, Fast Times at Richmond High. Who goes down to Mexico to, to give information to the KGB. Right, just yeah, kind of like as a grudge, and but also ideology because he's like they should be yeah, doing this. There's a bit of ego in there as well, yeah. especially yeah. If Sean Penn's motivation is not ideology; it's money. It's money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let me let me do one sure. one time pad because we didn't really talk about it. Yep. For anybody who understands encryption, what it is is it's a uh, it's a random secret key. So uh-huh. a lot of the encryption we do now has like a public key and a private key, but that one time pad is just that's one secret key that right. the only way you can know the thing that's going to decrypt it is if you have a copy of that pad. So right. as long as nobody gets a copy of either one of the pads, you're totally secure in encrypting that. Mm-hmm. Right. That's how it works. Wasn't a one-time pad also a song by Ian Fleming and the, what was that? And the New Mutants. And the New Mutants. Yes. <laughs> that, was, that was their big hit. Yeah. It was, a, it was a one-shot wonder, though. Another term, a raven. A raven. Is a uh, you know a larger than average crow. So what is a crow? A crow is I'm gonna I have to decipher. This. Okay, like, go. There's like you know three points. You are the master code breaker yeah, after a, all. A crow is a an African American agent who wow. scares people. Is a harbinger of doom. You it should see the look on Joe's face right now. Uh-huh. 
this obviously predates Game of Thrones, so it's not just a way to send messages back and forth. Hmm. Uh, but maybe it is. Uh, a raven is a, a delivery person that delivers messages, the secret ones. You use your one-time pad and you hand it to the raven, and they deliver it to whoever needs to get it. If memory serves me correctly, a raven is a Russian honeypot? Nope. Close. Well, you, uh, nothing to do with Russians. Well, uh, oh. I suppose it could have. A raven, uh, it's got something to do with Edgar Allan Poe. Nevermore. Ne- Nevermore. A raven is a male agent employed to seduce people oh, for intelligence purposes. Okay. Oh. So you're, the female one? Female uh, su- a swallow. Swallow. <laughs> bum, 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 bum. Wow. Somebody thought they were a comedian. <laughs> so this next one That's is either going to be... I would have uh, called with that if I was a spy. That was, well, back then when they invented it, that was the height of hot for them. Oh, my God, can you believe it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we can now. Mm-hmm. It's the 21st century. It's kind of common. Yeah. So the next one, you're either uh, going to have no problem with it or it'll just leave you flat. Smersh. Smersh. S-M-E-R-S-H. Who, who are they? It They're... sounds like something you put on a bagel. So I'm going to say you put a little smersh on there? Smersh. No, it's, like, it's a fictional bad guy organization from some show that I can't remember. Yeah, hmm. you're right. Who? Which show is it from? Uh, James Bond. Oh. oh. So who's Smersh? Smersh is, uh, it's Russian. It's short for Schmert Spionem, which means death to spies. Uh-huh. It was a Soviet counterintelligence agency that really existed from 43 to 46. Oh, oh wow. And it appears in uh, the Bond novels and the very early um, Bond films. Smersh. Oh, there you go. I thought it was fictional. Because it doesn't sound like a real thing. Smersh it. Yeah. If, if you saw the, um, I actually liked, I, I should get this out of the way, I actually liked Timothy Dalton as Bond. I think I'm the only person. I just didn't like any of the movies they gave him to be in. Mm. Well, License um, to Kill wasn't yeah. bad. Yeah. 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 Uh, in License to Kill, when they skydive over uh, Gibraltar, and uh, mm. one of the other double O's, or I think two other double O's are murdered on the on the way down, they're all tagged with Smersh tags on them. Oh, okay. And they're worried that the Soviets are starting up Smersh again in the late... 80s. I got a question. Uh-huh. Another pop culture question. Sure. Uh, 007 mm-hmm. is James Bond. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do we go up to double one or double one? Do we go up to zero one zero? Double oh nine is the highest one. Double isn't known as yeah. because and and then they just don't have any more spies after that. Uh, d- well, they're the ones with the double O prefix. And that makes them to special. Kill. License to kill. Oh, so nobody else has a license to kill? 001 to 009. They only have nine guys who have a license to kill in MI6. They actually all appear together in Thunderball. There is a scene with all nine double O's sitting together. With all the doctors. (laughs) There's a Wikipedia page listing them all. And presumably when when some one of them dies, they get replaced. Immediately. Yeah. With uh, With, Rowan Atkinson. Oh, there is double O ten. 0010 unnamed, referred to in the Benson novel, The Man with the Red Tattoo. Ah. Now, I think, well, I could be just flat out wrong, but I believe the the later ones are in the books not written by Ian Fleming. Mm -hmm. I think some of the later writers started inventing higher numbers. Uh, So one last one. Okay. Mm -hmm. One final one. I a, think I'm winning, right? Uh, yeah, you've got one. Uh, I don't think I got any. Well, the last one, you should all get it. A dangle mole. A dangle mole. Something to do with the penis. <laughs> a dangle oh, mole. Oh, when you stick your penis underground. <laughs> <laughs> Which happens every Thursday yeah. at dusk. That's how you, uh, you know, and then somebody writes a message on it, and you like pull I, it back out again. You know, somebody, <laughs> yeah, somebody, Kevin. <laughs> I prefer to think of it as making love to the planet Earth. That's Got right. it. Yes, uh, a, a dangle mole. A, a dangle mole is like uh, those skin tags that you get. 
Oh, you get those Dr. Shaw things to remove them? And you put a microfilm in it, and then when it drops off, somebody else picks it up. It just gets so out of hand that it's the dangle mole. Is it a dangle mole, a like a, um, an agent that you give up so that they think that there's, there's no other moles in their organization. You dangle it and go, look, here's the mole in your organization so you can ignore this other oh, one. Oh, it's like a patsy. Yeah, uh, you're a patsy mole. You are so close. Ah. So a dangle mole is a mole, yes. which we know is a, is a spy who is underground. Infiltrated within, the yeah. other organization. dangled yeah. in front of an adversary mole, mole, mole. in order to draw out the case officer or the adversary. Oh, you want okay. to get so, them. So we want to find out who the person to, is to come right. and go after potential moles wait explain okay. that to me a different way it's not to distract from another mole in the organization right. it's to find out whose job it is to ferret out moles oh yeah, you, so you know who's who gonna that be a spy catcher is. or who oh, okay. is the person who comes out and recruits gotcha right you get you dangle a potential mole mm-hmm. oh uh, yeah it doesn't even have to be a real one no yeah so you you just get someone who happens to work the teletype printer at the okay. security agency and you just arrange for them to have lunch in front of a bunch of Soviets, and they're all ooh. And, and the you Soviets see who chases walk over them. and talk right. to them and surreptitiously hand them exactly. something. Uh, and, a yeah. dangle mole doesn't even have to know they're being used. Right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's a lovely dinner you're having. Let me pay for it for you. Exactly. Yeah. Got it. Cool. So they execute spies. Why do they do that, but not say soldiers? Uh, the Geneva Convention, as we know, protects soldiers that are in uniform fighting. Right. And there's all kinds of rules, right down to how much space they get in prisoner of war barracks, uh-huh. uh, all kinds of things like that. Spies are not covered under that section. They are not wearing a uniform. Because they're not wearing a uniform, okay. and they are not necessarily a combatant. So Article okay. 5 uh-huh. uh, does say that they shall be treated with humanity uh, right up until the trial is over. Mm. Uh, there is an additional protocol that says um, any members of the armed forces of a party to the conflict who falls into the power of an adverse party while engaging in espionage. So even if you are a soldier, if you're caught spying, right, okay. then the Geneva Convention no longer applies to you. Okay. So no. suddenly you've lost that protection. Then you go to the individual countries, and most countries up until about the 1950s had laws uh, stating spies get put to death. I, you want to kind of discourage spying. You want to mm-hmm. make it make the penalty harsh? That is part of the reason they did it. Make the penalty harsh to discourage Deterrent. it. Deterrent. Two, it, uh, it's, it's a holdover from the, the gentleman's rules of war, where spying is just not gentlemanly. This, uh-huh. this person is not a, a legitimate soldier. Yeah, you honorably stand at either side of the battlefield and aim your weapons and, and press fire away. at the same time. Right, yeah. and tamp your, uh, your, your shot down. Yeah, exactly. And you wadding. look, in, in Britain to this day, they use the Official Secrets Act of 1911 is part mm. of their laws dealing with espionage. The uh-huh. Americans used the Espionage Act of 1917. Uh-huh. They, they've both been edited and updated a little bit. But the Americans still have execution on the books for enemy spies. And in Canada, we're uh, kind of ahead of the game, more advanced. We have the Security of Information Act, uh, which was created in 1985. In the history, 500 BC China, Sun Tzu. He espoused that spies and espionage were necessary elements of any army, and that going into battle without utilizing spies was a surefire way to lose. Uh-huh. One of Tzu's favorite tactics, however, was to use doomed spies, a.k.a. dead spies. He would supply spies with false information about his army and then send them off onto the battlefield to spy on the enemy. When they were in position, he would arrange for them to be captured by the enemy. Not sure how that happened exactly. Oh, but to, so that he knew that the enemy would have false information. Yes. During torture, the spy would divulge the information, believing it to be accurate. The enemy would then form a battle plan based on this information, not knowing that Zhu was actually using completely different tactics. Hmm. There's Sarah Emma Edmonds. 
from the 1890s, roughly. Mm-hmm. A Canadian-born woman, her interest in adventure was sparked by a book she read in her youth called Fanny Campbell, the Female Pirate Captain. Oh, that sounds wow. awesome, actually. That does sound totally awesome. It, uh, I don't know, with Fanny, though, in the UK, it'd probably be considered a porno. <laughs> Let's try it. <laughs> Telling the story of a female pirate who adventured while dressed as a man. Uh-huh. During the Civil War, Edmonds enlisted in the 2nd Michigan Infantry, disguising herself as a man named Franklin Flint Thompson. Mm, I like the nickname. And I like the alliteration, too. FFT. Uh, it should have been Franklin Flint Flopson, though. <laughs> Flopson, yeah. yeah. Uh, extensive physical examinations were not required for enlistment at the time, and she was not discovered to be a woman. At some later point, you had to, like, flash your genitals in order to get admitted into the... Uh... In the into, game? into the army? Yeah. Is, oh no, she was uh, she was a soldier in the war. Not, ah, got it. She was inspired by pirates. I have she to didn't wonder about like morning ablutions when everyone's getting all cleaned up. She at first served as a male field nurse, participating in several campaigns. Mm-hmm. Frank Thompson's career took a turn during the war when a Union spy in Richmond, Virginia, was discovered and went before a firing squad. She took advantage of the open spot she applied for and won the position as Franklin Thompson. Right, she became a um, a Union spy. Traveling into enemy territory in order to gather information required Emma to come up with many disguises. One disguise required Edmonds to use silver nitrate to dye her skin black, wear a black wig, and walk into the Confederacy disguised as a black man by the name of Cuff. Wow. Wow, this wow. should be a movie. That's good disguising. Yet another time she was working for the Confederates, quote-unquote, as a black laundress when a packet of official papers fell out of an officer's jacket. When Thompson returned to the Union with the papers, the generals were delighted. Yeah, no kidding. Edmund's career as Frank Thompson came to an end when she contracted malaria. She abandoned her duty in the military, fearing that if she went to a military hospital, she would be discovered. Right. As a lady. She checked herself into a private hospital, intending to return to military life once she had recuperated. Once she recovered, however, she saw posters listing Frank Thompson as a deserter. Rather than return to the Army, she decided to serve as a female nurse at a Washington, D.C. hospital for wounded soldiers. After the end of the war, she wrote her memoirs entitled Nurse and Spy in the Union Army. And in 1884, in recognition of her work, she was granted an honorable discharge from the Army along with a veteran's pension. Wow, nice job. Yeah. Huh. Good show. And I have found both those books online, uh, Nurse and Spy in the Union Army and the Fanny Campbell uh, Pirate Captain books. And we can put links up to both of those on Gutenberg. Uh, in the same era. Uh, from the same era, you had Harriet Tubman. She uh, would do the same thing, would disguise herself as slaves or a, you know, a worker or a freed woman and then go behind uh, Confederate lines and uh, draw diagrams of troop positions and stuff oh, and okay. bring them back to the Union side hmm. and smuggling slaves out every time she got a half a chance. There's a lot of cosplay going on. <laughs>
fip, button up your lip, don't get yourself unstrung. Or make just from a slip of the tongue. Don't talk about the weather. Shh, it's a military secret. Just keep your wits together. Shh, that's the safest way to keep it. These are critical times. Be careful of espionage. In such critical times, you've got to watch out for sabotage. If you must talk to someone, don't give any information. It's smart to be a dumb one. Simply change the conversation. Let's just talk about love. Cause that's what I'm thinking of And it's no military secret that I love you Hey, how about romancing? If you can keep a secret Well, can I take you dancing? If you'll take my heart and keep it I'm not saying a word. I'm careful whatever I do. I guess everyone's heard. I want to give all my love to you. If you got to talk to someone, don't give any information. It's smart to be a dumb one. Simply change the conversation. Let's talk about love. That's what I'm thinking of. It's no secret, no secret. What's all this about the Venona program? Ah, uh, the Venona Project. Uh, it was an intelligence gathering program, counterintelligence, initiated by the United States Army Signal Intelligence Service, which later became the National Security Agency in 1951. Okay. Uh-huh. The program lasted from 43 to 1980. During the program's four decades, approximately 3,000 messages were at least partially decrypted and translated. And these were messages sent primarily from uh, Washington, D.C. to Moscow. Uh-huh by the Soviets. Uh, the project produced some of the most important breakthroughs for Western counterintelligence in this period, including the discovery of the Cambridge spy ring, uh-huh. Julius and Ethel Rosenberg, as well as discovering those specific rings. It identified 349 U.S. citizens, immigrants, and permanent residents who had covert relationships with Soviet intelligence. Wow. And it also identified that the U.S. Communist Party was a strong source of intelligence for the Soviets and of recruiting for spies. So- if they found 349, you got to know that there's like, I don't know, five times that many that they haven't they found? They can't even guess, but they do know that there must be an enormous number more. Like, so yeah. there were thousands of people spying for it the Soviets in the U.S.? the extent of it. That is crazy. And How many people did the Americans have inside the Soviet Union spying for them? Well, the only way we'd find out is if the Soviets found out and told everybody, and they haven't found out and told everybody. But do you think it's thousands? It couldn't have been thousands, could it? The Soviets seem to have been much better at recruiting than the Americans. Well, also the Americans, uh, United States is an open society. It's easier yeah. to get information out. I'm just guessing here, but wouldn't there be more immigration into the U.S. than into Russia? Mm-hmm. What? There wasn't? Lot, you'd have a lot more Russians coming to the States than Wait, vice versa. Are you telling me that there weren't a lot of people leaving the sunny shores of Santa Monica, California and moving to Moscow? I don't know. There were some. 
Yeah. What's oh, this, the guy who shot Kennedy? Yeah. The guy who's hot all the time. God, I gotta, I gotta, I'm going to Siberia. Yeah. It's too hot down <laughs> That's here. That's right. Yeah, but then you get too cold, and you're like, nah, I'm moving back. Yeah, <laughs> Lee Harvey Oswald defected and then changed his mind. That's right. And came back. Uh, so Venona was an incredible program, an intelli- incredible intelligence coup for the Americans. Uh, one other thing about Venona is almost all of the intercepts that are at least partially uh, decoded are available on the internet if you want to go oh, look okay. at uh, Cool. And it's all, every single one of them is all like, hey, uh, spying today, OMG, uh, what an awesome <laughs> nuclear program, smiley, LOL. Smiley emoticon. Thanks yeah. for the info, LOL. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, so one of the first big coups was Klaus Fuchs. Uh, Emil Julius Klaus Fuchs, born uh, 1911, uh-huh. was a German-born British theoretical physicist and atomic spy. Ooh, smarty pants. Uh-huh. Uh, in 1950, he was convicted of supplying information for the uh, to the Soviets from the American, British, and Canadian Manhattan Project, the uh-huh. nuclear development project. Uh-huh. Where does he follow the MICE acronym? Uh, he would be ideology. Okay. Yeah, yeah he was a commie. Uh, when the Nazis took over the government, he could see the writing on the wall. He was actually on a bus, on a train that day, and, and uh, when he read oh, Reichstag burned, he, he uh, took his little hammer and sickle pin off and went, I might not want to be seen in public with that. Right. So uh, he made his way to uh, Britain. Uh-huh. He was uh, kind of working away at a university there, and then war broke out, and he was arrested as a possible energy, uh, enemy agent and was sent to Canada to a internment camp. Oh, okay. Oh. Where the only people that would really talk with him were some of the Russians that were interred there who were recruiters. Mm-hmm. Ah. So by the oh, time... Oh, so this is a classic example of, like, actually making some, a, right. a, a person worse by sending Prison becoming exactly. crime school. Especially, yeah. you know, he fled the Nazis, and then he's arrested and sent to a camp because they're worried he's a, he's a dirty Nazi. Uh-huh. So uh, very quickly, someone eventually got around to reading his actual background portfolio, and oops, we made kind of an enormous mistake here. So they pulled him out. They needed theoretical physicists, so they actually brought him back to Britain and put him on the Now, tube. was he theoretically a physicist, or was he an actual <laughs> physicist? Uh, you know, a little from column A, a little from column B. Uh, they brought him back and put him on what was called the Tube Alloys Program in mm-hmm. the 1930s. Tube. Tube Alloys. Okay. Which was the cover term for working on a nuclear bomb yeah. in Britain. Uh, then he was sent to the U.S. to work on the Manhattan Project. Uh-huh. And his chief area of expertise was the uh, the problem of imploding the fissionable core of the plutonium bomb. So, you know, when you're working on the fissionable core of the plutonium bomb and how to implode it, you, you know what's going on in the whole project. Well, you right. hope you do. You hope you do. He, uh, he, he was there to witness the Trinity explosion of the very first atomic bomb. So mm-hmm. the Russians knew about it very quickly. Okay. Uh, so there was no big surprise when suddenly Hiroshima and Nagasaki blew up. It was So they known. did recruit him in that prison. They did, yes. Yeah. Now, he was caught by Venona. It was one of the cables that the Russians actually used his full name instead of a code name. Oh, those foolish fools. They made mistakes every now and then. Ah. Uh, interesting enough, when he was first being interrogated, and they said, did you give secrets of the atomic bomb to the Russians? Remember, this is after the war now. This he says, duh. I mean, yet. I mean, went, no. He went, he was, he went, I'm not going to lose my job, am I? <laughs> he kind of missed the boat on this one. Right. He had no idea. In fact, at one point, he actually said something along the lines of, but I'm in too important to be arrested. Oh, right. Okay. Right. How did that go for him? Uh, mm-hmm. Well, he went to jail. They only held him for about six years. Uh, he was released in 59. Okay. And mm-hmm. then he uh, he immigrated to East Germany and just kind of faded into obscurity, oh. teaching uh, university. There. Well, so much for every spy in uh, gets uh, the firing squad, right? Uh-huh. Uh, and you have to consider, when he was doing his spying during the war, the Soviet Union wasn't an enemy. Right. He was spying and providing secrets to an ally. 
right? Oh, right. Which, yeah, yeah, yeah. which a good lawyer can make something out of. Yeah. He was working the tube alloy program, and maybe he thought because he English wasn't his first language that he was working in the tube ally program, and oh, he was supposed to spread allies. secrets around. Yeah, it's like that game, Axis and Alloys. Yeah, exactly. I love that game. There, there seems to be some uh, question as to whether the information he gave the Soviets really helped them very much with There's their hydrogen bomb. There's a lot bomb. of question. It, yeah, he actually did pass on some information about non-working hydrogen bombs. Mm-hmm. He said, this doesn't work, which saves you the, right. the trouble of going down that road. Yeah, that's right. fair enough. So yeah. Klaus Fuchs had used a courier named Harry Gold. Harry Gold. Harry Gold. Harry Gold was also working another spy ring, which is not a good idea to connect two spy rings. Oh, no? No, because it's if you roll like... up one, you can roll up a second one because you have a connector between the two. Okay. Uh-huh. And his connection was a man named David Greenglass. Okay. David Greenglass was a machinist working at Los Alamos building p- components of the first atomic bombs. Right. David Greenglass's sister was Ethel Greenglass, whose married name was Ethel Rosenberg. Okay. Married to Julius Rosenberg. Uh Uh-huh. So once Klaus Fuchs got rolled up, David Greenglass got a little twitchy because he had been providing secrets. Um, Backing up a little bit, Julius Rosenberg, uh, he was very much ideology motivated him. He was a communist from his youth, as was his wife, Ethel. Uh Was he a theoretical physicist? I think he was an electronics engineer. Uh Uh, He worked uh, for the United States Army Signals engineering corps uh-huh. uh and later on he worked uh for an electronics company that had uh, several contracts with the united states government uh-huh. um j edgar hoover said well let's put the screws to rosenberg right uh-huh. we're gonna arrest his wife and threaten to execute her that'll make him talk it didn't the two of them didn't went like to the electric anyway. chair yeah. yeah the two of them went to the electric chair one after the other yeah. executed uh julius went first and then a few minutes after he was taken out of the chair ethel went into the same chair sing uh-huh. sing prison and, and, and kept so, your seat warm, he and they, said. So they didn't do any of the spying? It was a brother? Well, it was found out by Venona years later when it was released that Julius was involved in spying, as was Greenglass, her brother. Oh, so but they just they got him by, by sheer luck. They got him through Greenglass. Fuchs, through Fuchs to Greenglass to Rosenberg. Right. But yeah. they also killed Ethel. But they also killed Ethel, who knew it was going watch, but she wasn't really doing anything. Right. She just knew it was happening. Mm. Uh, and the description of her execution is rather grim, how she sat in the chair and smoke started rising off her body. Right. Oh, and they had nice. to give her a couple of extra jolts because the first one didn't work. Mm. There is a, um, a YouTube clip of a reporter who witnessed the execution who comes out and tells the media exactly what he saw. Oh, really? And you can tell he's not doing very well. Right. Uh, right, right. He's suffering quite a bit. Uh, so Ethel did not necessarily go cleanly into that good night. No. I would like to speak about honeypots. Well, what does Winnie the Pooh have to do with spying? He was a very dangerous spy. Oh, was he? Was, he wasn't actually a bear. Oh, I guess that, the, the, you know, that whole... He was like, a badger. That go oh, really? <laughs> really? That is how successful his tradecraft was. I'll tell you, you never suspect a, a pantsless bear with oh, red t-shirt. Yeah. Honey traps, also called honey pots, have been a favorite spying tactic as long as sex and espionage have existed. Mm-hmm. Perhaps the earliest honey trap on record was the betrayal of Samson by Delilah, who revealed Samson weak- Samson's weakness, his hair, to the Philistines in exchange for 1,100 pieces of silver, as described in the Book of Judges. Do you think that that story originally started as him just being totally like enamored of his own hair, and if you cut it off, he would just... Oh, yeah, maybe. Yeah, emotional distress. Hair. And then it turned yeah. into it gives him super strength. Right, right. right. In Fabio-esque yeah. fashion. The practice continued into the 20th century and became a staple of Cold War spycraft. 
Governments around the world set up honey traps to this day, but it's an especially oh. common practice in Russia and China. The oh. CIA doesn't comment on whether its agents use their sexuality to obtain information, but current and former intelligence officials say it does happen occasionally. Well, you know, people are people. Seduction is a classic technique. Swallow was the KGB tradecraft term for women, and Raven the term for men trained to seduce intelligence targets. Got it. As from As our previously. pop quiz. Yeah, yeah. During the Cold War, the KGB and Allied services frequently sought to entrap uh, CIA officers. The KGB believed that Americans were sex-obsessed materialists. <laughs> Guilty. They're saying that like it's a bad thing. And that U.S. spies could easily be entrapped by sexual lures. Mm -hmm. The Soviets used sex not only for direct recruitment, but as a contingency where an American officer might need to be compromised in the future. Oh, so like, uh, you know, photos, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, click, say no click, more. say no more. Uh, oh, this is unless, also the era unless you, you could, unless you don't do what we say and then we'll say it all. This is also the area where you could compromise someone by providing a, a gay male lover. Right. Uh -huh. And then save the photographs for later. Examples of people trapped by sexual means include Sir Jeffrey Harrison, the British ambassador to the Soviet Union, was re recalled to London in 1968 mm -hmm. after he admitted to the foreign office that he had been having an affair with a Russian chambermaid at the embassy, of which he had been shown compromising photographs by the KGB. Right. Mordecai Vanunu, an Israeli nuclear whistleblower. It, it, Mordecai Vanunu sounds like a villain in a children's novel. <laughs> yes. Masquerading as an American tourist called Cindy, Israeli Mossad agent Cheryl Bentov befriended Vanunu and uh, persuaded him to fly to Rome with her on a holiday. Once in Rome, Vanunu and Bentov took a taxi to an apartment in the old quarter of the city uh -huh. where three waiting Mossad operatives overpowered Vanunu and injected him with a paralyzing drug. Uh -huh. Vanunu was put on trial in Israel on charges of treasons and, treason and espionage. Oh, yeah. Bernard Bursico? Bursicot? Bursico? I Bursicot? like this guy. He, um, he is not a very aware man. <laughs> uh -huh. He was a French diplomat who was caught in a honeypot trap, oh. seducing him to participate in Chinese espionage uh, oh. by Xi Pei Piu, a male Peking opera singer who performed female roles. Whom Busico believed to be female. Oh, this is a crying mm. game situation. This espionage case became something of a cause célèbre in France in 1986 as Busico and she were brought to trial due to the nature of the unusual sexual subterfuge alleged. The case was again back under the under our public spotlight when a play loosely based on this affair, M. Butterfly, uh -huh. by David Henry Huang, premiered in 1988. And yet again, as the film adaptation of the play of the same name, directed by David Cronenberg, was released in 1993. Yeah. Periodic restagings of the play and television airings of the film based on a continued to spark interest in the espionage case at the heart of the uh, fictional works of art. Boursico and Xi Pei Piu met in 1964. Uh, he was working at the French embassy in Peking as an accountant. Uh -huh. He was 20. She was 26. They met at an embassy reception and shortly began a relationship. Right. In 1965, she claimed to be pregnant and was able to produce a baby. <laughs> what? Borsico, when he was arrested and they said, Xi Pei Piu is male, he went, I don't believe you. They had to have Xi Pei Piu strip naked in front of him before he would believe it. But if you were, and with the, in the, hmm? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't think Borsico understands how human anatomy Maybe works. Maybe not. Maybe it was always, yes, we will have sex, but I will always keep this giant gown on. Xi uh, Pei Piu said uh, sex was always in the dark and always right. with clothing. Right. There you go. Borsico had only ever had sex at his boys' school with other boys. And it's hard to tell if that was 
uh, willingly. Okay. Uh, so he may not have had the healthiest sex life So maybe he never knew prior. what a vagina was. He most likely didn't. Right. Oh, right. there you go. That's the only way this is possible. He, he had a tough time in prison uh, because this had been all over the newspapers. Right. He uh, did attempt yeah. suicide in prison. Uh, but it didn't work. Mm-hmm. Shepe passed away uh, not that long ago, and he was uh, contacted for an interview, and he said, you know what, I I have nothing else to say. <laughs> right. Yeah. Just watch the Cronenberg film. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> With Jeremy Irons. Uh-huh. Of course. Of course. <laughs> All right, let's talk about Acoustic Kitty. Oh, I know what this is. You know Acoustic Kitty? Yeah, yeah, this is the sound it makes when you yell into a vagina. I thought Acoustic Kitty was one of your World Wildlife Federation of Justice characters. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's going to be. A cat version of... of, (laughs) Black Canary. Of Claw. I know what Acoustic Kitty's powers are. (laughs) The Directorate of Science and Technology launched a program for the CIA to use cats to spy on the Kremlin and Soviet embassies. What? To do this, Uh they took a cat, they taught it how to talk, and surgically implanted a battery and a microphone near the ear canal. Uh-huh. And an antenna in the tail. Okay. The Acoustic Kitty was released for its first mission to <laughs> eavesdrop on two men outside the Soviet compound on, Wins- on Wisconsin Avenue, District of Columbia. Uh-huh. A taxi hit and killed it. <laughs> almost immediately. <laughs> Well, you, you just released a cat onto the street. Yeah. That is a very traumatic surgery. It's probably kind of groggy from painkillers or whatnot. And plus, how are you? How how can you possibly control a cat? Like tell it to stand near people that yeah. you want to hear what they're saying. Yeah, they, cat people take that. If this was a dog, it would have worked. They spent twenty five million dollars on this project. Yes, actually, dogs wouldn't work because the dog catcher would have snagged the dog. So, do they try more than one cat? Oh, or, they had a few, and the cat, this particular one, had more than one surgery. So it wasn't just the antenna and the uh, the microphone. They uh-huh. also realized cats think with their stomachs. So uh-huh. they had to perform a second surgery to kind of turn off the cat's hunger. Oh. Uh, I, thought, I thought you were going to say, we also had an acoustic mouse. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> the acoustic well, they had to turn chased. off the cat's desire to just, oh, <laughs> screw this, I'm going for a bite. Oh, I was just about to say, you'll, just, uh, you'll, you'll overhear the killing of sparrows and whatnot. Exactly. And... Uh, the amazing thing about this is there's – I actually have a document. I've had it for a while. It was released in the early 80s. Uh-huh. Um, and it's it's a heavily redacted memorandum by part of the team that worked on the Acoustic Kitty project. Great. And so we know the cat had the surgeries and was run over. Uh-huh. And they're delighted talking about this is in itself a remarkable scientific achievement. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, because now you know what it sounds like to get your head crushed under a car. <laughs> Knowing that cats can indeed be trained to move short distances. Uh, yes. yes. But not uh, a far enough distance to get out from underneath the wheel of a car. So right. they had more than one cat. Did any of it yield any results? The project was abandoned due to the difficulty of training the cat to behave as required, and the equipment was taken out of the cat. The cat was re for a second time and lived a long and happy life afterwards. Subsequent tests also failed. Yeah. There, there's two stories about what happened. Um, one is from people who said, this is stupid, I'm out of here and quit, and the other is from people who stayed and got a retirement pension. Uh-huh. <laughs> so the runover cat is by the people who went, you're idiots, I'm out of here. And the um, cat lived a long and happy life uh, is from the people who stuck around. At the right. Agency. In the news. This is from 2010. Uh-huh. A diary entry belonging to a senior member of the Secret Intelligence Service, MI6, mm-hmm. has revealed that during the First World War, it was discovered that the bodily fluid, semen, could act as an effective invisible ink. What? 
In June 1915, Walker Kirk, deputy head of military intelligence at GHQ France, Uh wrote in his diary that Mansfield Cumming, the first (laughs) chief of the SIS, was making inquiries for invisible inks at the London University. Okay. In October, he noted that he heard from C, this is uh, the first chief, um, that the best invisible ink is semen, which did not react to the main methods of detection. Uh-huh. Furthermore, it had the advantage of being readily available. Yes. It's not so much that it's invisible. It's just that when people see it, they just go, yeah, not looking at that. Got to uh, look somewhere else. You don't want to know what's under that? Yeah. <laughs> who? who I, I've been a spy for decades. <laughs> a member. And I keep, I, I, I keep writing. I keep writing on the towels in my house. <laughs> now we know why we call it precious bodily fluids. <laughs> A member of staff close to C, Frank Stagg, said that he would never forget his boss's delight when the deputy chief censor said one day that one of his staff had found out that semen would not react to iodine vapor. Mm-hmm. Stagg noted that we thought we had solved a great problem. However, the discovery also led to some further problems, which the agent who had identified the novel use uh, having to be moved from his department after becoming the butt of jokes. Oh, oh, oh just as immature. Yeah, in the well, in MI six. But hold on a sec. Well, wasn't wasn't the chief's name Mansfield coming? Maybe maybe it was the chief had a problem with it. Thought <laughs> yes. that this was that, all poking was, fun at yes, him. That was part of the joke. Uh-huh. And how could you not think about trying that as invisible ink? I mean, your well, boss's name is Mansfield, Mansfield coming. You're like, you're like, I'm I'm going to see how this works. Yeah, it, 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 it's it's been written in the stars that uh, I've been. Uh, this has been fated to happen. Or then again, maybe the guy just got caught jerking off at work, and this was his like back pedal to explain <laughs> no, it all. Not get fired. What? No, no. This is part of work. Uh, it's invisible ink. Invisible ink. In addition, at least one agent had to be reminded to use only fresh supplies of the ink, quote unquote, uh-huh. when correspondents began noticing an unusual smell. Oh, no. The revelations are included in MI6, The History of the Secret Intelligence Service, 1909 to 1949, by Professor Keith Jeffrey. Uh-huh. Professor Jeffrey of Queen's University, Belfast, was given access to all of MI6 files between those years. The book was published and is being serialized in The Times. I think the code name for that ink must have been Mansfield Cumming. Mansfield Cumming, yeah, the, yeah. Man- the Cumming Project? Yeah. <laughs> Operation Cum. <laughs> Operation Man's Field. It would have gone well with your one-time pad. Uh, oh, mm. yeah. Pop culture? Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. Yes. George Clooney's. Oh, yeah. George Clooney's directorial debut, where I realized that not only is he a half-decent actor, he's actually a very, very talented director, and it made me hate him even more. Why so, do you hate him? I'm insanely jealous. I'm brimming with jealousy. He's so good-looking, and he's so good at his jobs. Ugh, makes me sick. Yeah, I know what you mean. He's got a salt-and-pepper beard, just like you. But Sam Rockwell plays uh, um, Chuck, what's, Barris. Chuck Barris, the, yes. the guy who invented the dating game and the gong show. Game show host and producer. He had to travel all over the world as a result of this job, and he claims in his memoirs that he wrote in the 80s that in the 60s he was recruited by the CIA to be a spook and a hitman. Yes. And so he writes his memoirs pr- – Stating this to be a fact, and of course everybody, you know, has denied it. Yeah, heavily ever well, since. Well, of course the CIA would deny it. But but I, right. I I thought it was interesting in that um, Clooney didn't get into the debate about whether it was true or not. He right. simply he presented it as Chuck Barris's delusions. Well, or his his version of events because the movie opens with Chuck Barris in the eighties locked in a hotel room 
you know, living like a hermit, writing his memoirs, okay. and then everything is told in flashback. So he doesn't make any judgments. He just is like, this is what Chuck Barris says happened. Okay. And if it's true, it's very interesting. Right. Which yeah. it is. This is it. And if it's not true, it's kind of interesting that he would make up this cockamamie story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of interesting either way. And uh, I love that movie. I really do. It was my favorite movie of the year the year it came out. Oh, my God. Alan, what's your favorite espionage film? I would probably go with Our Man in Havana, which we discussed in Cold Briefly. Uh, Mm -hmm. The British um, recruit a spy in Havana. This is in the Castro time. Yeah. Um, And their spy is an inept vacuum cleaner salesman. Played by Alec Guinness. Played by Alec Guinness. And he's only going along with it because his daughter is a spoiled brat and he needs cash. Right. So he has no intention of spying. He just starts making up names, making up facts. He's reading the newspaper. He joins the country club to get a list of influential people in the country and... In fact, he starts sending drawings of his vacuum cleaner parts back yes. to British intelligence. Unfortunately, the the local police and presumably the Russians are e- eavesdropping, spying on him, and they believe he has a real network. Right. And suddenly people start dying. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, I thought it was it's a brilliant, brilliant story. I watched a couple of oldies. Uh-huh. Uh, wa- but goodies? But goodies. Uh-huh. I'll start with the oldest of the goodies, mm-hmm. that being 39 Steps from 1935. Oh, yeah, I've seen this. Directed by Hitchcock, mm-hmm. his 22nd film in 1935. Oh, he should have made it his 39th. Should have waited till he got to oh, 39. Oh, yeah. Or should have renamed it the 22 Steps. Yes. Mm-hmm. So Richard Hanney, this is the plot, is a Canadian visitor to London at the end of a Mr. Memory show. So Mr. Memory is this guy who remembers anything. He knows all ah, the facts. He's like a Got walking encyclopedia. dictionary encyclopedia. Like the distance from Winnipeg to Montreal, I think, is one of the questions. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, in a music hall, uh, he meets Annabelle Smith, who is running away from secret agents. He, uh-huh. he accepts to hide her in his flat, but in the night, she is murdered. Fearing he could be accused of the girl's murder, Hene goes on the run to break the spy ring. Got it. So this is uh, in black and white. Uh-huh. It's got a Canadian with a British accent. Uh-huh. I'm not saying that's not possible. Uh, sure. But it kind of freaked me out a little bit. Oh, yeah? Uh, Probably happened more back then than it does now. It was charming. Yeah? I liked it. It, okay. had, it had those sped up chase scenes, just slightly sped up when they're right. like running across the moors. Yeah, yeah. Not like Benny Hill music sped up, but you could tell. <laughs> yeah. You could tell that these people were not running at this speed. Yeah. And it had the old gambit of two people being handcuffed together for mm. a while and Got on it. the run and trying to, and they hate each other. And uh, for some of these movies that I'm talking about, I went to a website with what was, and the website was like, Spy, spy films that spies like and why spies like them. Oh, okay. So spies love this movie because of the unexpected twists and turns, something that is par for the course in the world of espionage. There's an old saying used by spies all over the world. It's a great plan until the first shot is fired. You got it. Any self-respecting spy will tell you that adapti- adaptability is critical in the field. Got it. And a little bit of trivia for this film. Alfred Hitchcock handcuffed them together. This is the female lead and uh, and the male lead together and pretended for several hours to have lost the key in order to put them in the right frame of mind for such a oh, situation. Oh, mind games. Yeah. The hallmark of any true sociopathic director. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like a Kubrick move. Yeah, got it. So I would absolutely recommend this film. 
I think my favorite spy movie, I just remembered it now, actually, because I haven't seen it for ages, and it might not have aged well, is 1987's No Way Out. Oh, no, I saw this. Starring Kevin Costner. I saw this again, like, uh, four years ago, and And I thought it was was still pretty fantastic. Okay, good. Yeah. The problem is we can't exactly talk about what goes on in it and why it's good without spoiling it, and I don't want to do that. Yeah. Nobody's going to believe us that a Kevin Costner movie is great, but there's Kevin Costner, Gene Hackman, Sean Young, Will Patton, Howard Duff. It's it's fantastic movie, great twist, great twists in it. Uh, Can we even talk about what the espionage is in the film? Well, it's kind of the entire plot is a will he or or will he or won't he kind of plot device. They set up this MacGuffin that there's a spy, and then who's the spy? And then you know, it's kind of like like any good thriller, mm-hmm. it sets uh, things up and knocks them down repeatedly, right? So mm. at the end of it, you're kind of in a tizzy, and you don't really know which way it's going to go yeah. because it could go either I way. Part way through, I was going, "What? There the... may not even be a spy." Yeah, what is yeah. going on? Well, there wasn't because they they admit that they made it up to cover this other thing, yeah. but now it's looking like maybe there is, and it's yeah, yeah. Oh, but yeah. we can't say anymore. No way out. 1987, really good. Yeah, if you haven't already seen it, definitely check it out. Yeah, we watched a most wanted man recently. We did. We did. One of Philip Seymour Hoffman's last films. I quite liked it. He was a very cantankerous German man. That's true. Yeah, he he kept his his direct supervisor in German intelligence. Uh, he thought him quite the fool and would tell him so to his face. Present day Hamburg, a tortured and near dead half Chechen, half Russian man on the run, arrives in the city's Islamic community, desperate for help and looking to recover his late Russian father's ill-gotten fortune. Mm-hmm. Nothing about him seems to add up. Is he a victim, thief, or worse still, an extremist intent on destruction? Drawn into this web of intrigue is a British banker, uh, played by Willem Willem Dafoe, Dafoe. Mm -hmm. uh, and a young female lawyer determined to defend the defenseless. All the while, they are being watched by the brilliant, roguish chief of a covert German spy unit who fights to put the pieces together as the clock ticks. So half Chechen, half Russian, that is uh, plus two constitution and plus two to survival skill? (laughs) Uh Yeah, plus two to torture uh, uh, withholding. I think I liked... Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy a little bit more. I've not seen that. That what is a phenomenal classic. But that, and that started out as a British miniseries Mini on TV, TV with, with Alec Guinness. Mm-hmm. And then it was in a film with um, Gary Commissioner Oldman. Gordon. Exactly. I, they're very, a Most Wanted Man and Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy, in my mind, were very close one to one another in quality. Tinker Tales Soldier Spy just a little it's bit. Because it has more professions in the title. I did like, I liked very much how Philip Seymour Hoffman was a spy who couldn't keep his thoughts to himself. Okay. And that everything that kind of went through his mind, he sort of verbalized. <laughs> Do you think that was for the benefit of the audience? Uh, but, you know, I mean, it didn't necessarily have to, like... An you, you expository spy. You could have... He could have alluded to the fact he didn't care for his boss instead of having him yell right. invectives at his boss's yeah. face that and was, telling him what a fool he is. That was a good scene. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I thought that was kind of a curious trait for a spy to have, but then it kind of adds this air of realism, right? And then, of course, Tinker Taylor, Soldier Spy, is trying to ferret out a, a mole within the ranks. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's that... That classic debate between like real spies versus James Bond style spies, right? The James Bond style spies don't really exist in real life, but the Gary Oldman characters, that's exactly what spies are like. And right. the, the Philip Seymour Hoffman character, that's exactly what spies are like because they spend a lot of time looking at phone records and trace tracking money from bank account to bank account and trying to figure out and then going, aha, there's the causal links. And I know this boat is owned by that guy, so this money is going to that place. And Sounds terribly boring. It sounds terribly boring, but it ain't. There's a scene in Ticker Taylor Soldier Spy, and it's it's a few minutes long where Gary Oldman's just sitting thinking. <laughs> <laughs> 
And that's like I like that movie because it's a it's a movie that demands that if you're going to show up, you're going to pay attention. Oh yeah, because if you if you leave to go to the bathroom and come back, you could get lost. Yeah, you need okay. a notepad. Write down the names because you need to know who everyone is because they're only going to tell you once. Yeah. If you if you're watching it on DVD, put the uh, hard to hearing subtitles on so you yeah. can see how everything's spelled. Yeah. yeah. It's one of my favorite. They, they expect you to meet them halfway. They made a very nice. smart movie. They expect you to show okay. up. Yeah. I watched Eye of the Needle from 1981 with Donald Sutherland. He's in Britain. Uh-huh. He's a spy for Germany. Right. And he's sending them coded messages. He gets found out. During so, World War II. Sorry, during World War II. Got it. Uh, he gets found out, so he's on the lamb. He's on the run. Oh, he rode a lamb out of he town? Rode a, he gets, on a, he gets <laughs> on a lamb. It's very easy to hang on to the wool. Is that why he chose that? Call him Miss Jelly because he's on the lamb. Uh-huh. Yeah. And he ends up getting on a boat. There's a terrible storm. He gets washed up on this island. There's only three people living. This tiny little island called Storm Island. Uh huh. And <laughs> Storm Island. It's kind of apropos. A little bit on the nose. A little bit in the eye of the needle, so to speak. His code name is, I believe, is Needle. Oh, that's why this is oh, the eye of the needle. He would get information by needling people. Like, come on, come on. His favorite. Give me, give me the info. Come His on. Fa- his favorite weapon was a knife. He had a switchblade. Ooh. And he would stab people and they would instantly die. Oh. Which I found a little... He was, <laughs> he was good at the stabbing. I guess. He knows exactly where to stab you so you die instantly. Yeah, okay. It's just like with one stab. It was pretty amazing. Right. Um, so he ends up on this island. Mm-hmm. There's only three people on it. One is, this, one is a couple. The other one's the old drunken lighthouse keeper. Uh-huh. And the couple... They showed at the beginning of the film. Yeah. They got together. He was in the army. Yeah. As on their wedding night, he gets drunk and drives them both off of a cliff. So he's Whoa. paralyzed from uh, the waist down. Oh, so the husband. So they're married. Living on this island. Right. He's he, bitter. Husband's paralyzed. He, will, he doesn't like to be touched. They basically are like living together and not enjoying their own company. Right. But she still loves him. Anyway, Donald. here comes Donald Sutherland, the spy. And so then there's the love-making scenes. Oh, yeah. Oh, with the lighthouse keeper? Yes. <laughs> Who does with he make love to? the sexy lady. Oh, with the second With well, the wife. Okay. All right. I mean, there are only three people on the uh, island. It could have been any one of them. Meanwhile, he's still trying to figure out how to get off this island, and, and he's going to the lighthouse and trying to set up the radio, and, and, and everyone's looking for him back on the mainland. Got it. And I don't want to spoil the ending. Uh, it's good. It's a good ending. And it's, I thought it was a shocking ending. A personal favorite of spies tasked with counterintelligence. The only mission for a CI operative is to identify, deceive, and mindfuck other enemy spies. The movie epitomizes the spy versus spy battles that take place every day without the public's knowledge. I'm going to guess how it ends. He, like, sews some clothes back together as with his needle. With his needle. That is correct. Got it. You don't I'm need so to see good. the movie now. I am so good at this. Oh, and he brought in Gary Oldman because he's the tailor. You wanted to talk about I, Top Secret. I adore Top Secret starring Val Kilmer. <laughs> that is a pretty good movie. And I love and the soundtrack. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The thing is, I'm not actually a huge fan of those like uh, those goofball comedies like Airplane and stuff. Yeah. Like They're good, but I'm not, I don't like love them. But Val Kilmer's two movies like that, uh, Top Secret and Real Genius, which is a little less goofball, I, I totally love those I 80s movies. Top hits. Secret is Val Kilmer's first leading role, I yes. think. I think it is, yeah. It's 1984, so it's way, way back there. And you know what I liked about Top Secret guy. the most? What's that? I liked all the fact that the French resistant fighters were all named after desserts. <laughs> Except for Latrine. Except for uh, Latrine. Latrine. Yeah, yeah. But the black one was chocolate mousse there was souffle yeah. yeah i will never forget the anal intruder we found him impaled on this it took us a week to get to to get the grin off his face it was a week an hour whatever it was god <laughs> vel kilmer had a pretty good supporting cast 
Oh, yeah. Uh, Omar Sharif, Peter Cushing? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> For a first film, that's not too bad. No, I know. It's fantastic. Caustic Soda was recorded by Mike Leeson while internally hemorrhaging from an Ebola infection. To comment on episodes, make donations, and for links, images, videos, and show notes, visit causticsodapodcast.com. Rate and review us on iTunes. Visit us on Facebook. Tweet us on Twitter at Caustic Podcast. Email us at info at causticsodapodcast.com. I'm Pearl the Knitting Wench. Thanks for listening. Yeah, it's the uh, it's the the um, the crack and open the your sister's dictionary uh, compulsion, right? Diary. It's the <laughs> what? I oh. wonder what the words are like in this one. Do girls oh. have a different language from us? <laughs> it's pink. Yeah, That's the, dic- the, the male gonna, dictionary uh, doesn't have anything about periods in it. It's the <laughs> cracking open your sister's diary full, compulsion. Does that mean it's full of run-on sentences? Ooh. No periods. Yeah. Hold on. <clears throat> I need to wet my whistle. Again. I want to. I want to wet my whistle too. I got a dry right. whistle. <laughs>